You're listening to another podcast. A podcast not only of reviewing and discussing, but of discovery. A deep dive into a classic show whose influence is immeasurable. Your next stop, Anthology. Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast where I review The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology series. For archives of all of my episodes, visit AnthologyPod.com, and you can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com AnthologyPod, and follow me on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. And while every episode of this podcast will be free forever, um, if you'd like to support what I do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer for exclusive B-roll episodes, TV and book reviews, movie reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and early access to podcast episodes and previously unreleased content that is spread across all of my uh, three podcasts now. So, um, yeah, there's a bunch of content there. I think in May I released about 13 hours worth of exclusive Patreon content. Um, and, uh, there's really no sign of slowing down. So if you're interested in supporting what I do and, uh, getting some, getting way more content than <laughs> than what you uh you what you pay for check out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and uh and check it out so today i have a very special episode of the show um last week i reviewed once upon a time and by my calculations that was the 78th episode of the twilight zone and it was the 78th episode of the Twilight Zone's 156 episode run, which means I have now reached the halfway point of the original Twilight Zone series on the podcast. And that is a pretty big milestone for me, especially with so many starting and so many times of starting and stopping and the dip, not, not really ever stopping. I, I would say just fading and not doing um, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, going on, um, hiatuses and everything. So, um, yeah, starting and stopping is probably the best way to describe that. Um, and I don't know, it's just a big milestone. It's a, it's a big thing. And I am getting ahead of myself here, but I feel like this show, both when I say this show, I mean, both anthology and the twilight zone itself has, you know, kind of changed me and, and made me, a little bit better um, <laughs> in terms of the type of person I am and my outlook on the world and everything. And it's really been an incredibly rewarding experience uh, to get to, to kind of discover the magic of this very, very iconic show. And so in order to kind of celebrate the milestone, I'm going to take a beat and take an episode where I just kind of reflect on this journey so far and this, um, what, what it's meant to me and what, like some of my favorite moments of the pod, uh, not of the podcast, but my favorite moments of the, of the twilight zone have been, and some of my less than favorite parts and biggest surprises and favorite performers and everything. And what I'm looking for in the back half of the show, that's kind of a, a rundown of the kind of, uh, itinerary for the episode. But I just want to say that, 
Um, first of all, before I get into kind of the meat of this episode, I do want to say just a very, very heartfelt thank you to everyone who's listening to this podcast right now. If this is your first episode, if this is your most recent episode, obviously, well, you know, whatever. Um, but if you're just discovering the show or if you're a longtime listener, I really cannot express how, um, how warm it is and how happy it makes me to know that there are people out there who are willing to set aside an hour or two, um, out of their day to have me in their ears talking about stuff that, um, I'm passionate about and that I'm excited about. So I just want to say just really, really from deep down, I really, really appreciate, uh, the time that you give me Um, and I really hope that you guys get a lot out of this podcast because I really enjoy doing it and I really enjoy just the process of podcasting and everything. So, um, this is, this is a just total joy to me. And, um, I just want to thank you guys so much for, you know, joining me on this journey of discovering the twilight zone, (laughs) uh, for the first time in my life, because I'm, it's, it's such a blind spot for me. And, I don't know. So it's just, it's such a, it's such a big milestone to kind of think about that I am now halfway through this series. And it's kind of bittersweet in a way because I, I don't like to think of it as, you know, being, um, halfway done. Um, it's, it's something that I, I don't really like to think about because of the three podcasts I do, of Obsessive Viewer, Tower Junkies, Anthology, the three podcasts I have are unique in and of themselves. It, all across the board, they're unique shows. Obsessive Viewer is a movie and TV podcast where I just review um, a title or two each episode with my friends. That is what the Obsessive Viewer is. It's broad. It's able to be whatever I kind of want it to be week to week. And it affords me a lot of freedom and everything. Tower Junkies is just this celebration of mine and Tiny's uh, fandom of Stephen King and everything. Um, So both of those are just fueled by a passion for the material and for the art of filmmaking and everything. Both of those podcasts are, um, as well as the art of, you know, literature and everything. And those shows are at their heart about conversations with people in my life and people that I've met and people that I know. It's conversations with people who share the share a passion for this stuff or share an interest in the stuff that I'm talking about. Anthology, I've long said, has always been my favorite podcast that I do. <laughs> and it's because, and I don't know how narcissistic this sounds or anything, but it is solely because it is 100% my, it's on my shoulders. I am running this show. I It is a solo podcast, something I never thought I would have done when I started podcasting. Actually, I'm recording this on the eve of the ninth anniversary of when I first released a podcast into the world. Um, So June 21st, 2013, I released the first episode of Obsessive Viewer, had no idea what I was doing. And in the interim, in those nine years, I have gotten a little bit of information about what I can do and what I'm doing. (laughs) I've gotten a little bit of... um, uh, knowledge about the process of making podcasts and everything. And I discovered that it is literally like the, the most fun thing that I can do. It is my most passionate 
hobby and interest, everything. I love, love, love doing this. So, um, in the interim, I started Anthology and Tower Junkies throughout those, those nine years. So I have amassed three podcasts and everything. And Anthology always, always ends up being my favorite part of the entire process of all the podcasts that I do. And that's because, A, like I said, it's solely me. I, like I like I said, I would have never thought I would do a solo podcast, ever. I never thought that I'd... Well, I kind of knew that I would keep going with Obsessive Viewer and everything, as long as Tiny still wanted to do it. But I just never thought that I'd start another podcast and, and, and do all of these things. So, um, so doing anthology... Starting Anthology back in, what was it, like 2014, 20, yeah, it must have been 2014, I think. Um, starting it then and just kind of throwing myself into the deep end of actually like producing like a full like one man show was very nerve wracking and scary and everything. And doing it with a topic that I wasn't familiar with, The Twilight Zone was shooting myself in the foot. <laughs> like I was so not prepared for like the for for I really wasn't prepared for um how not off the cuff it would be. Like that is that is kind of with with like tower junkies and obsessive viewer like that's stuff that I can I can defer to co-hosts and guests and their their kind of opinions and everything and kind of riff with them on that with Tower Junkies that is completely about my love of Stephen King and Tiny's love of Stephen King so we have that shared knowledge base that lifetime of fandom for this man's work with Anthology <laughs> Uh, it's a show that I had heard about and seen parodied and seen, seen references to throughout pop culture, but had never seen. And that was scary. And I'm just, I don't know, I'm patting myself on the back, but I'm just so happy that I've gotten through 78 episodes of this series, plus countless bonus episodes, um, that I've done for different shows throughout, throughout the run. And I just found a real passion for it. And I'm really glad, um, that you guys are, you know, following along and listening and everything. And I just really appreciate that. So that's my long rambling way of saying that, Hey, I appreciate you guys sticking with me as I go through the twilight zone. And I really love the feedback and everything. This is by far of all of my podcasts. This is, the most uh, interactive one, which is really interesting because it's a solo podcast. So like, this is the one that that listeners really, uh, really give me feedback on and everything. And I really appreciate that. So anyway, um, enough rambling about my uh, love of podcasting and everything. <laughs> um, I have said many times before that this podcast is not about me going through the Twilight Zone for the first time. It's about me discovering one of, not only one of my favorite shows of all time, but one of the greatest shows of all time through the process of watching the Twilight Zone for the first time. And I stick by that. Like, this show has been such an incredible run of episodes of social commentary, of science fiction, of of thought and introspection about society and um and different uh kind of the 
human aspect of it, human conflict and human interactions in such a kind of surrealist way, but also in a very, very, very um, earnest way. And yeah, so I've just really, I feel like I've grown a lot as a person um, in the process of watching The Twilight Zone. Like I've, I feel like the way that I watch this show and and this is another case of me kind of not really tooting my own horn, but one of the reasons why I am so enamored with the show is because I'm watching it through this critical eye, like through this critical lens. I'm, I'm watching the twilight zone. I watch these episodes almost like maybe a dozen times each. And I take notes. I look, look for common threads, look for, uh, try, I try to suss out what, what kind of, um, what kind of commentary is being made, what, what the kind of cultural significance uh, is of it or the historical significance. And I, and oftentimes kind of by accident, I relate it to something going on in the real world right now in, in 2022 or in the, in the 20, 20 teens or 2020s, I'm still finding things. I still stand by the fact that uh, the monsters are due on Maple Street, and the obsolete man, and the shelter are three absolutely incredibly, incredibly uh, relatable, tragically episodes. They are, and I'll talk about those in in a little bit. But it's just it's it's so incredible to see like Rod, how much Rod Serling had just this knowledge of human human behavior. And how he and the writers of the series knew how to tap into that and really just run with it in a way that kind of just showcases showcases the the folly of humanity in in a sense. It's just it's it's really remarkable. So um, okay, so enough dilly dallying. <laughs> um, I'm gonna kind of break this episode up into different parts. So the first part is I'm just gonna go right into my list of some of my favorite episodes of the first half of the Twilight Zone. And this is not really like, if you know me, you know that I love making lists. I love ranking things and doing like, like having these just incredibly, incredibly long time wasting times where I just compile notes and data and everything and, and look at things in in certain ways, just so I can have like a list of like my favorite Stephen King books and everything. Like I have a running list of that. So anyway, I, if you know me, you know that about me. And I'm sorry to say that I'm not going to be that analytical with this list because this is more a kind of spur of the moment, kind of chronological breakdown of a handful of my favorite shows of the series so far. I have a list of eight episodes. I'm just going to run down and talk briefly about each one that I have. And that's not to say that these, it's like, there are some episodes in the run that I might like maybe a little bit more, um, than some of these, but these are the ones that stood out as I was going through the list of the 78 episodes, episodes I've covered. And I kind of want to just highlight each one of them, um, in their own, in their own little section. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and go into my favorite episodes from the first half of the Twilight Zone, uh, right now. Okay, so first up is Walking Distance, which is an early season one episode. I don't have the episode numbers here, 
but I will do my best to kind of break down where it is. Um, but walking distance, as I said, I'm going chronologically by, by air date also. Um, walking distance is such a, it, it speaks to me in a pretty profound way for a couple of reasons. One, on the surface of it, I love time travel. <laughs> I absolutely adore time travel. There are a couple of different time travel um, episodes on my list, but I, I love time travel and I love introspective time travel. And when they use time travel as a means to uh, to kind of have a character reflect on their life and everything. And with the character in Walking Distance, with Martin Sloan, he kind of, he's he's desperate for reconnecting to his childhood and to that kind of idyllic life as a child in this suburban Americana, um, you know, environment. And he wants to have that back. He's nostalgic for it because he's working in this job that is very much uh, very much, uh, kind of beating him down and, and really, really destroying the, um, you know, sense of wonder that he had as a child. Like he does not have this sense of adventure or anything or this sense of, you know, bandstands and, um, fireworks and typical American childhood stuff. So, him going into the past and again it's it's something that it's a twilight zone element that brings him into the past it's not something that he's willfully doing like in well like in once upon a time he's just kind of thrust into the past um and he uses that as an avenue to just kind of wander through his childhood and reflect on his childhood and i really respect that in terms of the storytelling and i think that it's just told in such a beautiful beautiful way um, the way that it kind of slowly reveals to him, but not in necessarily the most dramatic fashion that he's in the past is really appetizing and, uh, really pleasant because, because that gives us time to sit with Martin Sloan, to sit and experience his nostalgia through his, through his experience going into the past, like that opening scene or not opening scene, but that first scene where he goes into, uh, the soda shop and he gets an ice cream with two scoops and he talks about how like he talks so passionately or so wonderfully about um, what it was like when he was a kid growing up there that it just feels like it, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting tone to strike because on one hand he is this kind of not necessarily disgruntled but he's this very unhappy unhappy man with his life he's unhappy with his life he's stressed he has all of this stuff going on but when he's talking about his childhood and growing up, he talks about it as this like wonderful experience and with such passion and, and love for his childhood that it's really, really contagious and infectious and everything. And him going, going into the past and being his own antagonist, being the person like he's trying to, he's trying to warn himself to, to savor it and everything. It's just so... It, it's so introspective and I love that about it so much. I, I love that about, I, I love that aspect of the episode so very much. And one of the most poignant and beautiful endings to the episode and to any episode that I've seen is in that scene with his father where he's talking about how his father's telling him that, you know, you can't like there's one summer to every customer and you had yours. So let let my son have his summer 
and find your own find your own summer where you come from and it's just so like it being this fatherly kind of advice and and giving it that tint of that weird time travel element and everything is just incredibly heartfelt and uh it lands so emotionally and and so beautifully and so i think the walking distance is definitely one of my favorite episodes um for those reasons and everything um, the next episode I'm going to bring up is another time travel episode. It is later in season one. It is The Last Flight. And I rewatched this in preparation for recording this episode. And oh, I I just adore this episode so much. It's similar sort of to Walking Distance and other time travel episodes. But it's it's just very... It has that kind of grit, not necessarily grit, but that that kind of confused and gritty, I guess, um, by Twilight Zone standards, um, feel to it. Like there's this World War One pilot who is completely lost and he just pops up in 1961 or 1960 and it's really, really, um, it, it's a great like confusion episode. It's a really great, um, it's a really great episode where the characters don't know what's going on. And as it's unfurled, like to us, while we're watching it, we just see Decker land and the confusion. And then it's a while before they get to the bottom of it where it's like, oh, or should I say get to the lead bottom of it? Am I right? Um, no, when when they get to the bottom of it, it's a considerable amount of time where they're like, oh, OK, well, I'm actually from 1917 or whenever and I need to get back to to my time or I'm confused. I don't know how I got here and it's a while before they believe him and everything. And then they talk about um the like commander of the of the air force or whatever. Um uh McKay, I think it was McKay or McCann, McKay. I don't know, but anyway, Mackay. It was Mackay. Anyway, when they talk about him we also get like Decker saying like he can't be here because he's he can't be the like the commandant of the Air Force or anything because he's dead. I saw him die. And then it's like probably like halfway through the episode when we get that turn where it's like, oh, OK, his purpose, his Twilight Zone purpose is to go back in time or to, to go back and save Mackay and sacrifice himself. And at its heart, Decker uh, the the character of Decker is about overcoming this cowardice that he has in him this this fear of you know conflict and fear of of getting you know for lack of a better word hands dirty his hands dirty it's it's really really just palpable this this character motivation for him and the way it turns out it's just beautiful it is an absolutely beautiful episode and I just, I love it so much. I absolutely do. And it's such a shame that, uh, uh, the actor, what's his name? Kenneth Hay, that that was his only episode of the Twilight Zone because I, I thought he did such a phenomenal job. He was fantastic in this episode and I kind of wish that there was more of him, but, but alas, there's not. And the next episode I'm going to bring up again, um, this should come as no surprise, um, it's the last episode I'm going to bring up from season one, I believe. Yes. Um, it's the monsters are due on Maple Street, guys. This is not only one of my favorite episodes of the Twilight Zone. It is, and it is not only one of my favorite episodes of television in general, but it is one of the most 
important and most powerful and empathetic episodes of television that I've ever seen, um, ever. And what I mean by that is it tells the story of mob mentality and tells the story, this kind of veiled story of, you know, McCarthyism and the Red Scare and, um, and, you know, the fear of communism and everything through this prism or through this filter of alien invasion and, and the fear of alien invasion um, on this neighborhood where it, where it turns neighbor against neighbor. And rewatching it today in light of stuff that's happened in the, in the world over the last couple of years, it's just so mind-boggling just how perfect and tragic it is like I still I still think about that ending um that ending monologue uh that that uh that Serling gives it it is one of the best um endings to any episode of the Twilight Zone that I've seen so far and it's it's just so perfect it's absolutely perfect and it's something that this series has it's an it's a prime example of um of it, it it's it's a prime example of of how timeless the um how timeless the show is and how timeless the um the, the subject is or um i don't know <laughs> how how timeless the commentary is as as well it's just it's so it's so powerful. I'm going to uh hopefully uh, this will have a good um quality, but yeah, I'm going to play the closing narration for the monsters are due on Maple Street. Hopefully this uh works well, but here we go. So it's still one of the just best closing narrations of any episode that I've seen so far. Um, it's incredible. It's succinct. It tells the, it, it kind of breaks through that, that fit, that fourth wall a little bit for us to explain to us, like explain to us how this is, you know, something real. This is a real thing. Um, and it's just, it's so, it's so powerful. I love the mob mentality aspect of it. And like I hinted at, it's something that we've seen. I mean, like right now, as I'm recording this, um, this past week or last week, the, uh, the January 6th, um, commission gave their, uh, overview of like what their findings and everything. And I don't like it. I'm I'm not going to go on a tangent or anything, but I will say that if you are someone who thinks that the insurrection on January 6, 2021, the assault on the Capitol, the the legions of crazed Trump supporters who stormed the Capitol building in an effort to get 
the to get members of Congress to overturn a fair election and to get them to to uncertify the election so specifically so Trump could stay in power as president illegally. If you don't see that as one of the like darkest marks on like American politics and our democracy in ever, if you, if you brush that aside, I don't know what to tell you, but when seeing the footage from January 6th on the news and everything, I was immediately reminded of the monsters are due on Maple Street. And it's so tragic and horrible and terrible to me that the lessons that the Twilight Zone kind of gives go unheeded by by legions of people. And it's so universal that we'll have things that uh, come come out and we have things that will happen that will be reflections of the themes that were warned of us in the Twilight Zone. And I think that, A, that's a mark of just an, an unbelievably, insanely good television show. And it is kind of a mark against our characters, uh, uh, our character as a species and uh, uh, culture. It's just, I don't know. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm going to kind of brush away from that because I don't want to get too um, worked up and angry or anything. But it is, it is something that I, I thought about the monsters are doing on Maple Street a lot throughout uh, the last uh, handful of years. So the next episode I'm going to bring up is uh, The Odyssey of Flight 33. Um, I was so taken with this episode um, specifically because it it plays with, again, time travel in a very fun way. It's, it's a time travel episode where the focus on is on the characters who are highly trained they are perfectly suited for this type of situation they are perfect not maybe not that type of situation but they are suited for uh problem solving a situation like this because that is their job they are they are a flight crew on a on a an airplane and their the way that they work through this problem is really remarkable because you get these very nice little subtle hints of or subtle pieces of character um, choices from the actors. You get these little points points where you get their frustrations coming out and everything, but they are they're cool and calm and collect throughout most of the episode because they're working through this problem. And just the problem itself is incredible. It's <laughs> it's just them time hopping is is just so so cool the chaos of it the chaotic nature of it is is so uh is just so kind of entertaining to watch and thrilling and suspenseful um and also just the way that it kind of plays out is like their skip like the the insurmountable quality of their predicament is so good it is so good and i love that the episode that the Twilight Zone does not give us, does not give them a reprieve. It does not give them something, it does not give them hope, really. It leaves on such a note of ambiguity, and I just adore it for that, because it, it like, in Serling's closing narration, when he talks about the, um, like, if you look up in the sky, and you, you might see, um, you might see uh, Global, Global Flight 33, 
um, trying to get home and just like that idea. And he's done like the show has done the kind of like lost, lost ship storyline several times. But this, I think, is just such a perfect way to play with that. And also the influence that this episode has on on media and everything is undeniable. I mean, think about Lost in season five. They do similar stuff in Lost with with this type of time travel and everything. And uh, and in Stephen King's work, he did a uh, he wrote a novella in um, eighty five, I think, um, called The Langoliers. The Langoliers is this similar story. Um, it is a similar type of story. It's a it's a it's an aircraft that they fly through a wormhole and they kind of come out the other side being chased by these, these demons and they don't know how to get back to their, to their universe. And it's just really, really good. Um, so in, in like that, that novella even like name checks this episode, it references this episode, uh, specifically. So check out Tower Junkies, by the way. But anyway, um, so I just love the Odyssey of Flight 33 and rewatching it. It just kind of tickles me how, like, I know in the trivia that, um, whatever the, the aircraft manufacturer was, like they they allowed the use of their um of their aircraft in the episode but they did so in um they did so with like the kind of express um point that they that they were like well yeah we need you to make sure that you know your viewers know that you know this is a safe aircraft and everything and so it's just funny that the dialogue and the monologue kind of go, kind of bend over backwards a little bit to kind of appease them. I think that that was the case at least, but it's just very much a, a very fun kind of dialogue episode. But anyway, and, and again, the dialogue in the episode is really, really good. It's engaging. It's very technical. And again, it kind of plays up that whole, um, that whole way about it where it's, it's about these people that are, uh, good at their jobs, trying to figure out this, um, incredibly unnatural, uh, situation that they find themselves in. So, so yeah, so that's the Odyssey of Flight 33. I'm going to and that was from season two, I should say. And then the next episode I'm going to bring up is The Silence, which is such a unique episode because it is an episode that doesn't have any supernatural element or any Twilight Zone kind of thing. It is this battle of wits between these two men who have incredibly high, like, they have a lot of pride and they have a lot of ego to them. And it's just something that is, the way it plays out is just so ugly and vicious in a, in a kind of visceral way. And then when we get to the ending, it's just, it gobsmacked me. Like, the... There are a couple like twists in the story that just really, really worked for me and were really effective because I wasn't expecting it. And I thought that it was just such a beautiful, a beautiful end to the story um, for both characters, uh, both characters of um, the general and Tennyson. Uh, Tennyson ruined his life, ruined his entire life for the pursuit of a half a million dollars and the general just goaded him into that, uh, without knowing that he couldn't deliver. And it's just, it's so, it's so steeped in ego and, and driven by this pride that both men have. And it's just so ugly and vicious. And, and I kind of love it for that. I really do. 
Um, yeah, so that's the silence. Uh, the next episode I have is one of my absolute favorites. Um, I would say that this is maybe, eh, no, I can't, I can't rank them. It's probably, it's in my top five. Um, shadow play. I mean, holy crap. Time loops are amazing. And I love, I love this episode so much because it has, it's such an effective use of the time loop. And it's also kind of an indictment of criminal justice system and everything, I'm sure. I don't know. It's probably not not too too deep on that level, but it is something that is kind of explores the humanity of of uh of like an executed man or someone on death row. Um but it's also just a really cool story. Um <laughs> the frantic nature of of Alan Grant trying to convince everyone in his dream that they are in a dream um is just so so strong it's so great um and and fun really um so yeah so that's shadow play i i really like it um and again i've said this before and i'm sorry for repeating myself but i really wish that through all of the iterations of the twilight zone i really wish that they would have done um a different version of shadow play each each remake um they did it in the 80s so i i remember it being okay but I wish that the 2002 Twilight Zone and the 2019 Twilight Zone both did it, but they didn't. So um, I just think it would have been cool to have, um, you know, multiple versions of the same story to kind of effectively have the time loop uh, element throughout it. So anyway, uh, the next episode I'm going to bring up is the is one of the episodes, one of the only episodes to contend with the monsters are due on maple street for my favorite episode and in some cases it may actually surpass it this is the obsolete man and first of all burgess meredith and fritz weaver are just incredible in this episode the performance the battle of wits between them and the kind of ideological differences between them are performed so wonderfully it is insane the acting talent in this episode and by having that having these two characters butting heads intellectually through wildly different ideologies and having this just display of of conflicting ideologies at at this at the with with the death of a man imminent in it a human being's death is imminent in it is just a perfect confluence of story and to add to that, the writing, the dialogue in this episode is so, so masterful. The way that the dialogue reflects back on itself, the way that it's it's referenced, um, the dialogue from the opening scene is referenced in the, in the uh, second act scene between the two, and the reversals of it, like when he... Uh, when Fritz Weaver asks him to, like, yells at him to step back into the light, and when he tells him that uh, he's not, when he's not looking at the camera, that he's depriving uh, his audience of his death and everything, and then when when Burgess Meredith just brings that right back at him and says the same thing, like, oh, step into the light, and also you're depriving, you're depriving the world of of your uh, of your you know death and everything. It's it's such an incredible battle of wills between these two men and it ends on such a bleak and very, very horror ridden sequence with, um, with the chancellor 
going back to work and being deemed obsolete and being replaced and being murdered on on screen and through this crowd of this droning um harmonizing just moaning and groaning that is so chilling it is it is masterful this is a masterpiece of television um through and through it even down to the cinematography and the set design and everything the way that the the stand the podium that the chancellor stands on is just massive and so imposing and everything is so sterile and cold it's it's beautiful juxtaposed with um with uh wordsworth's kind of uh apartment um set it's in how small and cluttered it is it is just a masterpiece of television i absolutely love it so the final episode i'm going to bring up for my favorite episodes from the first half of the twilight zone is the only uh, like an additional episode that kind of takes um the monster monsters are due on maple street and gives it a run for its money but also because it's almost exactly like the monsters are due on maple street in certain respects it's the shelter again this is a very powerful um story about people that are friendly who uh find mean find a means not to be friendly anymore and it's it's what happens when these characters are um are put to the test and it's when their politeness um and prejudices come out and everything it is absolutely absolutely stunning it is it is absolutely stunning um yeah i i love it so much um this is such a powerful scene and such a powerful or uh, i'm sorry powerful episode um for for a variety of reasons that i just said but um it does feel it is very similar to um to uh, to the monsters who do on maple street but it is also very much of the time um of the of the threat of nuclear war it does have some different some differences there but it is about kind of taking ownership of or like this this compulsion to take ownership of other people's possessions when when your family is at risk and it's it's just a very very beautiful uh and disturbing episode um, okay, so those are my favorite episodes from the first half of The Twilight Zone, and I'm going to just quickly run down some of my less than favorite episodes. Um, I won't spend too much time on these because, um, frankly, I, I just didn't really care that much for them, obviously, but um, the chronological order from release date, I'm going to go with the first one that I'm going to go with is Mr. Denton on Doomsday, which was fine it was fine i think it was it was the first western episode um of the twilight zone and i don't know i i've taken more of a liking to some of the other western episodes even though i do have another one on this list but but mr denton on doomsday is something that just uh, like it's fine it's fine it's not i don't hate the episode it's just it didn't really leave that strong an impression on me or hasn't really stood the test of time over the years since I watched it and covered it on the podcast. Um, the next episode I have is The Chaser for one of my least favorite episodes of the first half of The Twilight Zone. Uh, the Chaser is fine. N- no, it's kind of lifeless for me, I think. It's 
it's something that it, it kind of uh, plays up the the central concept a little too heavily without doing much in the way of characterization. And the ending is kind of disturbing in a way, but it also doesn't really feel quite as earned because it's playing with like comedy, but also drama and um, obsession. And I think that there's a lot, a lot more that could have been mined from that. Um, So yeah, Uh, the next episode on my list is Mr. Beavis, which I don't really remember much of anything about it. Um, I mean, I remember it, but I just, I also just didn't like it. Like it just didn't really work for me. Um, the guardian angel thing is kind of interesting, but also just not to really use to really great effect. It's just a little too weird and strange for me. Um, the next episode I have is the mighty Casey, which as much as I like seeing baseball depicted on television and movies, even though I'm not really a baseball fan, although I would go to, I I do like going to baseball games, but I'm not like an obsessive fan of it. But the Mighty Casey is fine, um, but it also just, it's a little goofy, and the whole robot aspect of it just doesn't really mesh that well with me, um, and doesn't really provide much of a through line for the characters, I don't think. Uh, the next episode I have on my list is The Trouble with Templeton, which I I feel like I really warmed up to it a little bit more as I was researching it, as I was preparing it and everything for the podcast, but it still doesn't really leave much of an impression on me. It is that kind of retrospective or introspective time travel kind of episode. And as I've, you know, demonstrated, it's stuff that has been done to much, much greater effect um, uh, elsewhere in the Twilight Zone in the first half half of the Twilight Zone. So uh, the trouble with Templin just didn't really leave much of an impression on me because there's better examples of the same type of story in the Twilight Zone. Uh, the next episode I have is the penultimate one on this list. Um, it's Dust, which is, again, fine. It's another Western episode. Um, I, I think it's okay. It, it I don't know. It, it just didn't, didn't really work for me all that well. Uh, the kind of concepts of hope and, and also kind of just stealing hope from someone is just, and being disturbed, uh, disturbing enough to, to kind of do that to someone, um, it's fine. It's okay. But, uh, I mean the episode itself, but it just, it just doesn't really work for me. It didn't leave a very strong impression. And then finally, my, one of my least favorite episodes of, uh, the first half of the twilight zone. And I'm sure that there are some later in season two that, um, I, I could have put on this list as well, but the final one I'm going to bring up is Mr. Dingle, the strong, as much as I love Burgess Meredith in the show. Um, and I really like his his energy in this episode. Um, it just didn't really do much for me. <laughs> Again, I feel like that's my that's my kind of um, that's my kind of summation of all of the episodes that I have listed on my not favorite episodes from the first half. But really, it just does doesn't leave an impression. Doesn't really work for me all that well. Mister Dingle the Strong is another example of the show doing trying to really jump into comedy, um, comic stylings for it, uh, in it, and it just doesn't really work all that well for me. 
So, um, I'm going to kind of start wrapping up a little bit. I have a couple other sections I want to kind of bring up, but these are going to be brief and everything. So I'm going to hit a few points for, uh, my biggest surprises from the first half of the twilight zone. And I'm going to run through these really quick because some of them I've already kind of talked about in this episode and, um, and kind of, kind of just gave uh, a little bit of an overview, but anyway, biggest surprises from the first half in chronological order. Uh, first up is the silence, the ending where you see, uh, that Tennyson has severed his, the nerve endings on his vocal cords so that he can't talk so that he can get the $500,000. And then the, the switcheroo to the general not having that money is just, just a tragic display of ego at its worst. And, uh, it's just, it's really fantastic. Um, a world of difference, the opening sequence of that, where we see it's a businessman going into his office and then we see that it breaks the fourth wall and we see that it's a production of a, of a, of a movie. It's, it's really, really good. That was a very cool effect and I loved it. I really loved it. Um, the next one is the Odyssey of Flight 33, which I already talked about. The ambiguity of the ending is just so tantalizing and and wonderful and it gives this uh really really fun lost lost jetliner um thing like it just it i i really love the ending of of that episode also brief aside i've been watching the episodes on paramount plus because it's kind of the just the easiest way than digging out my dvd and everything but um i find it kind of funny that if you go to the Odyssey of Flight 33 on Paramount Plus, the cover image of the episode is of the passenger who talks to the woman that he's seated next to and talks about how he is like an attache to uh, to like the United Nations or something like that. And anyway, well, like my point is, I find it funny that that's the cover image for that episode on Paramount Plus. And like, that's one scene like the the passengers are not characters in this episode. They're just referenced. And there's that one scene to kind of show them as, you know, characters that there are people in in the plane. And I don't know. I just uh, I just found that kind of funny. Anyway, uh, the next episode is another aerial um, <laughs> uh, air travel episode. Um, the arrival, um, uh, my, uh, my, my surprise from that was how it's, um, the, the reveal that everyone is gone, that it's, it is a truly a ghost ship that landed with no one behind the wheel, no one behind the yoke, no one in the passenger seats, no one anywhere. It's just a ghost ship that just landed of its own accord. And I love that reveal because it's right from the outset. It has that cool, like handheld shaky cam kind of Kubrickian, uh, uh, shot of the, of the, um, uh, I don't know the, the aisles and everything and the empty seats. It's just a very, very good way to bring us into the episode and establish the, the craziness of it. And then the final uh, final example of a, one of my biggest surprise for the first half of the Twilight Zone um, is from Long Distance Call. Um, the fact that that episode goes to a place where the kid is actively trying to kill himself because the ghost of his grandmother is telling him to over the phone is very like disturbing and crazy and 
scary. Um, and I just, I love that the show kind of went there. Um, I thought that that was really great. Um, yeah. And so I, I enjoyed that about it. Um, yeah. So, uh, the next thing I'm going to bring up just real quick is run down a few, um, actors that I really liked in the show, uh, so far. And I think some of them we're going to see in the back half, but I just want to briefly run down, just, just rapid fire, name some, uh, actors I really like in the first half of the Twilight Zone. So first we got Jack Klugman, then Burgess Meredith, Fritz Weaver, Kenneth Hay, Anne Francis, Maxine Stewart, and Inger Stevens. So those are kind of my my favorite actors from the first half of the Twilight Zone. Um, yeah. So I am getting kind of tired and I have to work tomorrow. So I'm going to wrap up this episode here. Um and before I go, I'm going to kind of just give a brief uh, a brief list of episodes I'm looking forward to covering in the back half of the Twilight Zone um, throughout, you know, this process and on anthology and everything. So um, there's there are a list. I have a list of five episodes that I'm looking forward to. And of course, given the conceit of this podcast where this is a this is like I'm watching it for the first time and everything. I'm going to briefly explain why I'm looking forward to these specific episodes because there are a lot of episodes I have no clue about. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, so really quickly, uh, nothing in the dark. And the reason for that is I'm, I'm excited to see Robert Redford in the twilight zone. That's all I know about it. Um, then the next one I have is, uh, yeah. So <laughs> of the four, I have listed the four remaining ones. Um, three of them have the same reason for me wanting it, it really. I mean, yeah, all four of them, uh, have the same reason. So, um, I'll just go <laughs> little girl lost. I'm looking forward to because it's very heavily parodied and referenced in the Simpsons, uh, Treehouse of horror. Um, one of, one of their segments. So I'm excited about that. Uh, then the next one on the list I have is Nightmare at 20,000 Feet because it was parodied heavily on the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror segments. Um, (laughs) and then the next one I have on the list is Living Doll, and that's because the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror parodied it. Um, (laughs) and finally, uh, a kind of a, a kind of stopwatch, uh, and that again, I believe was referenced in the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. So, Um, when I'm done with the show, when I'm done with the series and everything, I am definitely, I'm actually planning on going through and doing like a full episode of Simpsons, like Treehouse of Horror segments that are riffs on the Twilight Zone and everything. That's, that's obviously years in the future, uh, at the rate that I'm going, but, um, I'm excited nonetheless. So, uh, so yeah, so that I think will just about do it for this special episode of the podcast where I'm reflecting on, you know, the first half of the Twilight Zone and everything. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, I'm going to be back uh, next week with my review of Five Characters in Search of an Exit and the uh, science fiction theater episode I'm going to review with that is a visit visit from Dr. Pliny. Um, And yeah, so I'm very excited to uh, get back to it and uh, see what the back half of the Twilight Zone has in store for me, for me. So, 
once again, I'm just going to kind of wrap up and just say, once again, I can't thank you guys enough for listening to me and, and you know, being on this journey with me and all the feedback you guys provide. You can always email me at matt at obsessiveviewer.com or obsessiveviewer at gmail.com um, or reach out to me on, on social media and everything. But, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really glad to, uh, to, to be halfway through the show at this point. So I'm very excited to get into the next, next stage of this, of this podcast, uh, journey and everything. So, um, all right, well, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, start to play myself out and yeah, so I, let me actually see where I have, um, a good outro here. I don't cause I, I'm trying something different. I'm just going to play this one. So, all right, well, thank you guys so much for listening and, uh, and joining me on this, you know, multi-year journey at this point, but also for, uh, supporting me and everything. And once again, check out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, uh, for a bunch of exclusive content and everything and early access to episodes. So, Uh, yeah, without further ado, thank you guys so much for supporting me and listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. So, uh, Howie, um the the narrator of the story is writing down his thoughts as he has just taken a um he has taken a drug that is going to kill him it is going to end his life um he has exposed himself to the thing that has ended you know a a very very large amount of uh humanity so as time is unfolding as he is as he is like rushing toward his death he is writing out the story, and I've got to say that if you are, if you, if you're a fan of uh, Kim C's podcast, the Year of Underrated Stephen King, um, you'll know that she is a big champion of of reading the uh, reading the physical story while um, also uh, listening to the audiobook and kind of doing that hand in hand. This is the perfect example for a story that belongs, uh, that, that yearns to be experienced in that format. Because as the story progresses, uh, the narrator's uh, mental faculties very, very drastically deteriorate. And uh, as such, the writing gets very, very um, degraded. And the grammar is all wrong. The spelling is all wrong. And what's really interesting about this is that this happens relatively suddenly toward the end of the story. Toward the end of the story, this just kind of rushes up to us. And I really, really like that because it gives us plenty of time to get all of this information out from King. And then as it accelerates very rapidly, it just kind of lands with a with a big punch um, at the end. So I really appreciate that about the story. This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. 
for exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.